How can data improve supply chains? Over a decade ago, Ross Harvey from The Yield saw this happen firsthand as an international development economist in the global apparel industry. We collected data, put it in the cloud, and sold it as a data service to the world's biggest brands. We gave it to government for better public policy and for researchers to create new knowledge. And we made phenomenal change, you know, lifting some of the poorest women in the world, the women who make our clothes, out of poverty. And I think that's the same way, the same philosophy, if you like, that business model of understanding how supply chains work that we brought to the yield. In 2014, Roz started The Yield to apply this insight to specialty crops. She's passionate about turning data into insights and making sure the grower customer retains ownership of those insights. Not only do you own the data you give us, you own the insights we give you. And many companies, you know, they pull a bit of a swifty with growers and they say, yeah, you own your data. And they give you a whole lot of zeros and ones, which is virtually useless. The data owner really has to be in control and they have to have transparency on that. The Yield's Ross Harvey sits down with Amy Wu and I to talk about their digital playbooks for specialty crop growers on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I get to sit down with the farmers, founders, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. And to start things off here today, I want to recognize a few new members of the FOA community. Welcome to Brett Sill, Andy Stubb, and Stephanie Mathern. Thanks so much to those three, Brett, Andy, and Stephanie, for supporting this show and for joining our growing community. You can do so as well over at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. Today's episode of the Future of Agriculture is brought to you by Sound Agriculture. Sound Ag's source product is a foliar applied biochemistry that activates soil microbes to unlock more nitrogen and phosphorus. It works with the soil you've already got and the equipment you already use to wake up the soil, sort of like caffeine for microbes. You may recall hearing from Sound Ag CEO Adam Lytle on episode 295, and I'm really thankful that Adam and the team decided to advertise on this show. Take advantage of their performance optimizer to identify which fields get the most out of source corn. Using key data, they can help you place the product more accurately and decide whether focusing on yield lift or nitrogen reduction will give you the best results. The low use rate, flexible application window, and tank mix compatibility makes source simple to apply. And sound guarantees performance. Activate what's already in your soil to improve your ROI at sound.ag. Thanks so much to Sound Ag for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, joining us on today's show is Ross Harvey, founder and CEO of The Yield, which is an Australian ag tech company that focuses on leveraging data science to provide large specialty crop producers with digital playbooks to improve their farming operations and the supply chain. The Yield is right in the middle of planning an expansion to the U.S. this year after establishing themselves in Australia over the past seven years. We have an interesting conversation about their approach to farm data, why their playbook is a different approach from other digital ag companies, her thoughts on data ownership, and the need for more holistic approaches like theirs to ag tech. I teamed up on this interview with Amy Wu, who's the author of the book From Farms to Incubators, Women Innovators Revolutionizing How Our Food is Grown. 
You might remember that Amy and I collaborated on some episodes last year featuring women in ag tech. This is the fourth of those episodes following Joanne Zhang in episode 263, Ponce Travis Favet in episode 273, and Shelley Aronoff in episode 290. We also have one more planned for later this year, and I highly encourage you to purchase a copy of Amy's book, as it features not only people like Joanne, Ponce, and Ross, but also several other former guests of this podcast, like Pam Marone, Fatima Kaplan, Sarah Nolette, Mariano Vasconcelos, and Christine Sue, as well as others. So now, without further ado, I'll take you to our featured conversation where Amy and I are interviewing Roz Harvey of The Yield. She starts with some background about who The Yield is and what it is that they do. We have been a successful, profitable business in the Australian-New Zealand market. And we now have about 20% market share in our target crops, which are specialty crops. That's what we specialize in. We also specialize in selling to large family farms and corporates and also companies along the value chain. And what that means is that most of our customers are already, in many cases, are American companies who happen to grow in Australia or vice versa. And the other thing that we have a lot of our customers actually own the genetics of products that are growing here. And so we built digital playbooks that can match that, that can be used to support a more effective outcome for the grower using those genetics. And so in many ways, whilst we're kind of born in Australia, we were born internationally because many of our customers were already global and particularly American companies. So it was a really natural progression to follow that. And I think one of the key things is we've really landed on this strong concept of um, these digital playbooks that we're creating. And really, these digital playbooks are essentially our growers' kind of IP about how to grow and distribute and sell along the value chain. And it basically, in real time, helps them make you know fast confidence decisions about how to irrigate, how to feed, how to protect, how to harvest. And... Associated with that, and I think, Amy, we talked about this before, a really big key focus for us has been this microclimate predictions. Because as you know, the weather forecasting system all around the world, including here in the States, actually uses a grid. And it's based on an intergovernmental agreement that creates a 25 by 25 kilometre grid. And then, you know, either the public bureaus of meteorology or private providers kind of grid that down, but it's still a grid typically, you know, sometimes four kilometres up to 25 square kilometres and 10 metres above the earth. And of course, that's not what plants really experience. So what we do, our products, our digital playbooks, we can can run on the grid. There's nothing wrong with those products. They do a great job if you're looking for a kind of high level average. But a lot of our customers are in high value crops and what they really want to know is what's happening in the canopy, within the hoops where they're growing, you know, right down to the field and hotspot level. And so using our microclimate predictions with the digital playbook means that we can drive much bigger financial returns, you know, 10% gross value per hectare. And, you know, we're seeing up to double of the accuracy in things like spraying and irrigating which delivers both economic and environmental benefit. And so this this ability to drive the product from either gridded or using, you know, any weather station really together with our microclimate predictions has been a really powerful combination. Roz, this is really exciting actually. The digital playbooks, correct? And also you mentioned the microclimate predictions aspect. 
walk us through like how that actually works. So if I'm a grower, what is the digital playbook? Is it like a tablet or just show me how it works a little bit? It's actually, it's a system, but what the grower is working with day to day on farm is actually an app. And we can talk about how that gets all set up, but what they experience is three things. Activity windows, which are optimized for each crop as they go through the growing season. They get delivered in activity windows, whether it's spraying or, you know, nutrition or irrigation, the best time going out 14 days to actually do that. And what they can do is they can adjust the models that we use for their own thresholds because every grower has their own sort of rules of thumb, if you like. So it can be very personalized. And they can also match it to their portfolio of products that they're using, their ag chem products that they're using. And this is really, really important, you know, for crops like, for example, apples where you're thinning, where you probably, you know, have a couple of of thinning products in your portfolio to get the right fruit set and they are effective in different windows. So not only do we have these activity windows, we then also have these risk assessments like traffic lights and also efficacy assessments, which are the efficacy of the product that's actually been used. So windows and traffic lights gives you a really simple unified interface on every decision you're making on farm in a really simple to use digital playbook. And that digital playbook, often for our customers who tend to be sort of larger growers, either corporates or large family operations, their advisor, their agronomist, whether it's in-house or an advisor that they're using, actually helps them curate that digital playbook. But then really, you know, our forecasts, if you had perfect data and perfect information, you would get perfect predictions. But of course, we don't have perfect information and everybody knows that growers are super, super busy. So, you know, they don't have time to fill in diaries, let alone apps saying, I did this and I did that. And so really the way this connection between AI and robotics is going to come around is is two things. One is in our collaboration with Yamaha that's running a spray, robotic spray service in the Napa Valley and Tim in Sonoma from where you're from, they're offering a spray service using robots, field robots, both drones in the air and on the ground. And effectively, what we're doing in this trial is we're using the spray rules and models from our digital playbooks that we develop with Treasury to tell the robots what to spray and when. And we know using microclimate instead of using gridded data that we can get a really significant uplift in accuracy, which makes it more cost-effective and more effective for the robotic spray. But at the same time, we're collecting the data from the robots to put back into our algorithms. And so when you ask me about the next wave of technology, Amy, I really think that automation on farm so that we passively collect data rather than paying for scanning services and things like that that are just a cost, but you're actually passively collecting data as you're doing another job, means that it's going to free you know, growers from having to worry about entering data about what I did into things like, you know, diaries. It'll all become automated, first of all, the actual activity, but also the collecting of the data that can be put back into the algorithms, which in turn can increase the accuracy of of the robotic services. So I think it's a very exciting inflection point for the industry. I don't think it's going to happen overnight, by the way. I, I think there's, you know, some years for this to be bedded in. But I think we're already seeing, you know, early adopters using this technology and it's a very clear pathway here. 
could you provide some examples of when you see the light bulb come on for your customers of like, you know, no farmer that I know is sitting around saying, well, if I just had more data, right, they're, they're wanting better decisions. So what examples can you provide of when the light bulb comes on? So when, when we sell um, or when we start engaging with a customer, the first thing I ask them is what are the top three issues that your business is top of mind that, you know, you see as key to your success? That's the starting point. Open question. Then what we do is we use a business improvement framework, which has 16 tiles. We call them tiles and little calculators. So we look at how do we grow revenue? How do we reduce costs? How do we mitigate risk? And how do we help you digitally transform? And so before we put a single piece of technology anywhere, we've already sat down with the customer and worked out exactly where the value is for them. And what we say is, you know, we're interested in this as a long-term digital transformation relationship. So let's start with the thing that's easiest to do and is going to give you the greatest return. And then the other 16 tiles, if you like, we can pick off as we go. And that's when the light bulb goes on. Because people go, oh, right, I get it. So we're going to start with my priorities. Yes. <laughs> and what we have is platform technology, which obviously makes that possible. So then driving it into the next level, I think it's really, you know, when you sit down and you say, okay, so if you knew what your harvest was going to be, when do you need to know it? And at what level of granularity do you need to know it? to actually create value. And when you actually ask people that question, you know, initially they look a little perplexed because they're so used to actually having to go around and look at the block level and add it all up because that's the only way humans can do it. But really in a lot of value chains, what really matters is very early season forecasts to actually go into the forecast for the market and for the pack house to actually make sure they can get the best return and to also help them be really clear about their strategy for the year and then as the year progresses to adjust what they do to hit that target. And that often has a lot more value than trying to do a block level forecast right at the end when the season is already set. So I think that for me is where you see the light bulb go on. The other one for me was with thinning, you know, with Apple customers where they had two different thinning products that they could use. And so, as I know your your listeners will know, Tim, is what's really important as apples is to get your fruit set right at the beginning of the season. And that'll make the difference between you get a good pack out rate and get a profitable season or you don't. And so, typically what you have to do is apply these thinners at, at blossom, that's called blossom time, to get the right amount of blooms that transfer it into little fruitlets. If you get that wrong, you've got to do a secondary thinning, do it again, you've got to do a manual thinning. And what you really want to do is make sure you get it right the first time. But the products that we use to achieve that are really, really weather sensitive. And so both their efficacy and which windows you can use are really affected by that. So when we build a digital playbook where they can actually look out you know, 14 days and say, across these blocks, I can use this one and that one. And then here's the traffic light that tells me how effective it'll be and how hard I need to go. It's like, okay, I really get this. And then when I produce them a report and says, this is how many hours you can get to use your spray resource. If you use microclimate predictions versus using a gridded forecast, and you can get two hours and 36 minutes extra each day, if you use this one versus that one, and you've only got fixed amount of labor and a fixed amount of, you know, physical assets, then everyone goes, oh, shit, I get that. <laughs> and so it's really grounded in the practical 
How do I help my customer be more profitable and get a better return on their investment? And then linking the technology back to that in a very explicit way of what can I do differently that's going to help me achieve that, that people really understand it very quickly. And then we constantly, when we work with customers, we constantly play back the results of our analytics. We say, you know, this is what we're seeing in our forecast. So this looks a bit weird. Why is that? And they'll go, oh, you know why? We just changed out that block and we swapped over those vines because we had a problem. And we, yeah, we've got to record that in our system. And so then they realize the power of the data that where their data is better curated, they get a much better accuracy outcome. And they go, okay, I understand the value of that data. And so there's lots of moments for me as we work with our customers and delivering, you know, outcomes for them where you can see that people really understand that what comes first is what they're trying to solve and that technology is a solution for that and opening, in fact, you know, making that so much more transparent and accessible really helps people understand why data matters. Right. Yeah. And and I think you've done a great job of articulating why data matters. I think maybe what I'm still unclear on is like, if a farmer is convinced that that they want to leverage their data better, what's the differentiation point between the yield or other ways that they can do it, either whether it's yield estimating or weather stations? Or Okay. The differentiator for us is we don't do just one thing. We create a digital playbook that covers every single activity, all of which are weather related if you grow, and we put it all in one place. The data is in a platform and it's their data and they own it. They own the inputs and the outcomes and not just the zeros and ones, the actual predictions. And that's their data. We own, obviously, the technology, if you like, in between. And effectively, they can then use that to continually fine-tune what they do and learn and adjust their digital playbook to help them scale their operations and be more effective. And they can also use it in how they interact along the value chain. And so it really means that they get a complete solution. It's very contextualized for them. It's hyper-specific. And they own not only the zeros and ones, but the actual insights. And it sounds like the sales process is very consultative, which is cool. Does that continue in the delivery of the product or service, the playbook itself? Or is that more like any other software? Once you get them trained up, they're using it pretty autonomously. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's it's actually a very, um, what we've really focused on is not only the technology, but the sales to success process itself. And in some ways, we see that as equally important IP <laughs> as the technology, understanding what you're trying to solve. And every crop is slightly different. I can tell you of those 16 tiles, which one will matter the most for what crop and depending what their business model is. If you're a wine grower and you 100% outsource, you know, harvest prediction and contracting will be the number one priority for you. If you're an apple grower and you grow yourself, thinning will be the thing that you're very, very focused on. So it's really we have a lot of knowledge in the business because we have specialised in the, these type of crops of understanding not only where the value is, but how to tune our analytics and our digital playbooks to solve those problems. So once we start executing on that, it is as part of success for us is how many more models you want us to um, deploy for you and putting your data to work. So it's inevitably a, a pretty ongoing consultative process. And what we aim to do, obviously, to make that scalable is to, as much as possible, be able to give people as part of our websites and our reports, real-time feedback about the impact that we're making, which helps guide people's investment decisions. Because it once we you know, are working with a customer, they can start off with their own rules of thumb. Nearly every grower has their own rule of thumb about everything. That's how they manage. And then you can introduce 
analytics, which we, we, as a business model, we charge per model per acre, you can just add where you see the value. And we, we can just keep building out your digital playbook with you at the right cadence that matches your business requirements. And so that makes us very scalable and we say ourselves as a transformation partner, working with our customers longer term. And that's partly why we work with, you know, large corporations, large growers, because, you know, that's the way we're working with them. But having said that, many of our customers, you know, half of our customers actually come from the value chain. They're either processors or packers or input providers. And what they're doing is working with their grower base to make them more productive because it's good for everyone in the value chain. And so we often, even though our customers can be quite large, we can be working with quite small grower groups. And it sounds like, you know, at least part of the special sauce is in the the tying the data points together and providing a user experience where they can interact with the data points in an actionable way. If I understand right, are you powered by FarmBeats or at least a Microsoft uh, Azure platform? We're certainly in Azure, the Microsoft uh, platform. Part of our secret sauce is actually our platform. And in fact, the team, uh, you know, my CTO, data architect, product manager, senior engineers all came from one of the world's biggest fintech businesses. It was a, a company, an Australian company that actually built the Tick History product, which is used for powering algo trading in just something like 3 million records a second from every stock exchange in the world, milliseconds to timestamps that normalizes it and then sold it via Thomson Reuters to the world's biggest financial trading houses and people like the Fed Reserve here in the US. And also gave that data, by the way, to universities to create new knowledge. So that team is our team. And that's why our real capability is analytics and they understand, we understand deeply at our core, the value of data, how to make an analytics ready, how to put it into production at scale cost effectively. It's very easy to do a proof of concept on AI or call it AI. It's very hard to actually do it in reality at scale cost effectively. And so that platform we built is in Azure, in the Microsoft platform, but a lot of the capability IP is is in our own um, platform that sits on top of that underlying capability. And then for hardware, for things like weather stations or wherever you're going to collect the data, do you use you know other people's hardware for that? Yes. When we started Life, we started off doing our own farm area networks, um, which we still do in Australia. And we built a capability to take data off farm. We're increasingly uh, have moved to being data agnostic, which means we can take data from anywhere. And we've done trials with uh, weather station providers here in the States to show that our, our ability to predict at a microclimate point, so not just gridding down, but actually predicting where that actual sensor is, we can do it with anything. And we've done technical trials with companies here in the US to demonstrate that. And that's very important for scaling. It's also very important for our customers because they've got a lot of tech out there, particularly in the field of sensors and weather stations, and they don't need to spend that money again. We can just put that same data to work. And even better if they've got a history of that data because it accelerates what we can do with the analytics. And we can usually pull that from the weather station company. I was just going to say, uh, because you, you mentioned working with larger growers, do they typically have someone that is a data manager? What What's the role of somebody who's going to be working with you most closely? Is it like a you know CTO or what type of role are you working with? Because I think it's interesting how a, a large grower might work separate from a small grower. Yeah, it is very different. And we work with both large and small, but usually with smaller growers via 
another sort of company that they have a relationship with in the value chain rather than directly. And, you know, in large corporates, you know, say, for example, um, you know, a treasury or a Costa, which has got a joint venture with Driscoll's, we work across the business because you have to to deliver value for the customer. So we'll work with the operations manager. You know, often we work with the, the vineyard or the site manager. We'll work with the IT department, with the operations and CFO team and the marketing team. Because remember, we're doing things like really linking what's happening on farm with the value chain. So the more agency you have in that value chain, you can imagine, if you're selling berries, for example, fresh, and you know we're doing six weekly rolling forecasts at a block and variety level, and that can be used to help you be clearer about what you're going to produce to help you achieve a better price, your customer inside that value chain is actually the marketing and salespeople. Similarly, you know, if you're trying to optimise in the packhouse or in processing in a fermenter, a fermenter in a winery is trying to make sure that they're transforming grapes into the highest value return product. And that means getting the right varieties, the right categories at the right time into the fermenters and keeping the fermenters optimised. And so we work across these businesses because data is valuable across the businesses. And I think that's one of our, you know, differentiators is taking this value chain approach rather than just looking at solving a single point solution. Every grower knows it doesn't help you if you just fix, you know, irrigation, but you've got no view to, you know, how I manage thinning or how I deal with pest and disease or how I deal with the harvest scheduling. It's a system and that system is linked to a value chain. And the true transformative value of data is that, doesn't matter how many times you use it, how many times you transform it, cut it up, put it into new models, it's still there. It's never used up. And it keeps creating more and more value as you do that. So really, this power of data is it's very important you know, to understand this and also to put it to work, which means you've got to work across different functional groups, if you like, not only on farm, but also in the value chain. Now, the challenge in all of this is, is making sure that the owner of the data is protected and has control and transparency. And one thing that really differentiates us, Tim, is we say to our customers, not only do you own the data you give us, you own the insights we give you. We own the, the machine, the data robots that create it all, but you own either end of that. And many companies, you know, they pull a bit of a swifty with growers and they say, yeah, you own your data and they give you a whole lot of zeros and ones, which is virtually useless. You're paying for a service. You deserve to, you know, you own the outcome of that service if it's a harvest prediction or a digital playbook set of predictions and outcomes. Our customers own both ends of that. And they decide what to do with it. We will not resell any data insight or aggregate data from our customers in any way without their explicit written agreement. And this is very, very important in a business like ours that works up and down a value chain. The data owner really has to be in control and they have to have transparency on that. Yeah. So I'm wondering in the course of launching, you know, your uh, company to now, what are some of the things that you've seen change in terms of the growers toward ag tech and sort of maybe looking forward, you know, what are some things that you think uh, are happening on the horizon for the industry overall? Yeah, I think there has been a lot of change. I think we've seen a, a proliferation of startup companies and businesses and a lot of investment. Uh, I think a lot of it's been technology driven rather than driven by 
what the business problems and and value that we were trying to create. And that's created a lot of churn, I think, and a lot of point solutions, you know, single point solutions, just solve this one thing. And I think because of that, a lot of times the experience doesn't live up to the promise and you end up with a whole lot of tech sitting in sheds over farms all over the world. And I think what we're seeing now is a maturing of that and understanding that, you know, we need holistic data solutions that farms aren't a series of single decisions, they're actually a system and that you need to create technology that both has open architecture but solves for these issues holistically and puts data to work up and down the value chain. So I'm optimistic in the sense that I think there's a maturing of the sector. I think we still have a tendency to be technology-led rather than grower-led and I think that the companies that succeed are the ones who actually do it the other way around say, what is it that we're trying to solve? Well, I want to thank Roz Harvey of The Yield for sharing her insights with us on today's show. You can learn more about what they're doing over at theyield.com. Hey, just a heads up, particularly for you regular weekly listeners out there, that you're going to notice a bit of a change starting with next week's episode. Uh, one thing that I have learned over the five years of doing this podcast is that it needs to generate revenue in order to sustain itself so that I can keep bringing you the best content possible. And up to this point, that's happened through some advertising here and there, some sponsorship here and there, and some Patreon supporters who I am eternally grateful for. However, it's time for the show to sort of take its next step in the evolution of being actually a sustainable entity. And that is to welcome our very first quarterly presenting sponsor. Now, this is not going to change the content or the format of this show in any way. I only plan to work with sponsors that are 100% in line with the continued mission and vision of this show. But this ensures that I can continue to do the show and to provide the best content that I know how to do. But it also means I only have to work with one sponsor and I'll never have multiple ads on the same episode, which I have always tried to avoid if possible. So I'll be working with one presenting sponsor each quarter. And if you think your company might want to be one of those presenting sponsors in a future quarter, I'm definitely open to having that conversation and sort of doing so on a first come first serve basis. But anyway, I just wanted to give you that little heads up because you'll notice it on the very first episode of the quarter, which is, of course, next week. Anyway, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.